0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: The usual experience is you you go to a bunch of classes and you're taking French or whatever in high school and you've done this so much. You've worked really, really hard and you spent you know hundreds of hours doing French, like 200 hours in this classroom. Um, And you go to France and there's this five-year-old kid or or even like this three like four-year-old kid uh, And their French is better than yours and you're like, dude You've only been speaking for two years and I've been doing four years of French in in college Mm -hmm. Like this isn't fair. How is it that you can learn so much faster than I can and that kid has had So much more French than you have (laughs) Because those first two years where they were completely nonverbal like that totally counted they were learning the whole time Mm Mm-hmm Uh, And you're spending a few hours a week in a classroom and that kid is spending all of their time in French. Mm. Um, This is with like the 100 percent native native speaking. This is slightly different from your your situation. Yeah. Um, But the normal thing is you spend your four years in college. You come to France. You meet this five year old. The five year old has 15000 hours of exposure you've had 200 hours of exposure Mm -hmm. and then you're upset that this kid speaks better than you when of (laughs) course they speak better than you. It would be insane if they didn't speak better than you. And when you control for that and you, you take a kid who is verbal, you take a five-year-old kid and you move them into Spain and you give them 500 hours of exposure. And then you do the same thing with an adult. Uh,
0: the adult ends
1: up speaking better than the kid
0: every time.
3: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you. So I was actually introduced to you by way of our uh, mutual literary agent, Lisa Demona. Um, yep. And anybody she sends me, I'm always compelled to take a look at. And I was immediately very <laughs> intrigued by your story. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you, where in the world did you grow up? And what impact did where you grew up end up having on your life and your career? Ooh, good question. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles. Um
1: And how did it affect my life and career? Man, um, I don't know if the location affected it a lot. I mean, I think the the sort of upbringing did, in some sense, of just kind of there was there was my parents generally were very supportive of just go do whatever you want, like not like do do anything you want, like doesn't matter, but do whatever you want, and we will help you figure that stuff out. And if you want to learn things, that's sort of really really encouraged. And so um, there was a lot of support of. music and of art. And uh, I had uh, my grandparents helped uh, me go to this insane private schools like, that that offered stupid things like ceramics and glass, glass work and orchest- orchestral stuff and really good choirs. And I was really privileged in, in terms of education. Um, and so I had a lot of exposure to a lot of things and felt... Um, like a sense of, well, I guess I could try this and I guess I could try this and oh, that was fun. Let's try this too. Um, and there wasn't really a lack of, um, opportunity for that. And so I really got to delve deep into music, uh, when I didn't think it was something I eventually wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did, uh, I was, a played violin for 10 years and, and viola eventually. And, uh, and that was never something that I had any interest in doing as a, as a career, as a, as a something even that, that would continue after high school. But it was like, Oh, this is a thing I get to do and spend my time doing and, and find joy in, um, and value in. And that led to, um, singing. Uh, eventually I, I started taking singing lessons and there was availability for that and support for that. And so I started taking singing lessons and it was like, Oh, this is a fun sense of improvement. Mm-hmm. Not something I want to do with my life, obviously, of course not, you know, <laughs> uh, turned out to be what I did, but, um, you know, this is, this is fun. This is a sense of, uh, I get to learn something and improve at it and, uh, play with this sense of, can I improve myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I, can I go somewhere, have someone show me how to do a new thing and improve myself? And, uh, with that being available, I, I kept taking that option, uh, because it's addictive. I mean, when you get that 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 feeling of like I'm getting better every day, like that's super addictive, uh, and so that happened with singing, and that that kept going on, uh, and so when I was like 15, that started, um, and so that became addictive. There, uh, similar stuff with sciences, um, and so I I guess that less the location, although I guess the location allowed me to go to that school, sure. um, but. More just the, the, those opportunities, having those opportunities, um, and and being able to repeatedly get this sense of um, of playing around with improvement. Uh huh. And enjoying it, and then trying again with the same that that same sort of uh,
0: outlook. Yeah. So a couple of, of really interesting things come from this for me. One is, is you seem to have had this innate curiosity as a, a byproduct of, of the environment that you were in, uh, mm. and also parents who encouraged this innate curiosity to try all these different things and and you know, uh, experiment with them. One, you know, I, I think you know, just coming up on my fortieth birthday, I'm thinking about a text that uh, a, a girl that i'm going on a date with tonight sent me about you know i told her i was like I'm, I'm trying a new coffee shop every day and she said oh she's like i did that before i turned 37 37 different new things before i turned 37 um Hi, and uh, you know it, it got me thinking uh about the fact that you know we get sort of stuck into these routines and and you know uh ruts and in, in everyday life of just sort of repeating the same sequence over and over why do you think we lose our our sort of drive to try these new things um as we get older like why is that not more prevalent with age
1: Meaning why don't as you get older, why don't you like, why, yeah. why does the amount of things you try
0: decrease? Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Cause it seems like you tried a lot of different things as, you know, uh, you know, part of your education from what you're telling me.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, I think, I think you're right that that is a trend. Uh, I think, I don't know, inertia. Mm. <laughs> I think that there's a sense of, you know, I'm trying this stuff, I guess it's working and I guess let's keep going, um, and, and continue doing the thing that things as is. Um, it's, it's hard to try new things, uh, especially I think as an adult, like you, you, you run out of time, mm. oddly enough, like you, you, you feel like there's less and less time available to do things. Um, at least that's been my experience. Uh, and so really being able to say, okay, well, yes, this is my, my routine and this is my job and this is my family and this is my dog. <laughs> uh, and I'm doing all these things and I'm still gonna set aside a block of time to go, you know, start learning how to salsa dance or something like that's, it's trying new things is inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Uh and I suppose as a kid that's really your only job is to try new things. Yeah. Um and then as an adult you also have a job. Uh <laughs> and so <laughs> and maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the the existence of jobs yeah. uh, that 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 sort of shuts down on on you being able to really explore.
0: Yeah. Um you know, having had sort of the, the childhood you did with and the parents that you did what would you say to to parents who are listening that you'd want them to know about this? um that's tricky uh I
1: mean parenting seems extremely hard <laughs> uh my impression is that no matter what uh it will you you can't do it flawlessly you there will be areas where you're just like damn it <laughs> oops uh but the I don't know I think if a kid shows some some interest in in something uh the idea of like I've, I've heard of some people in in opera especially where uh And in music where where people show an interest in it and they get kind of shut down by their families Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense of like, that's not a good career to go have. So why don't you not do that? And why don't you go get a finance degree or something? And then, you know, maybe later you can come back to this music thing. Mm -hmm. And I and I get it like I I 100 percent get it because having having seen the music industry from the inside, it's brutal. And I wouldn't I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Mm-hmm. um in and the idea of of having someone that i really really cared about say hey i want to go be an opera singer um that's that's a, a a very difficult thing to to hear and to respond to especially if you're in a position of power over them <laughs> because uh if you actually knew what that was like which most parents won't yeah. i mean most parents just have a vague sense of like yeah music it must be hard uh or there's probably not a lot of money in music but like Trying to be a professional musician is brutal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just terribly brutal. There's, we, we can jump into that a lot if you want. But yeah, like, I do want to jump into it. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> um, the opera career is, I would say, very, very similar to the career of like, trying to be a professional ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has this really important difference. Like With, with ballet, like, there's going to be one job for every 100 people. Yeah, 100 extremely talented people like the 100 people who are spending every every bit of their being on being the best ballet dancer they can be and have the resources to pursue it and have are in a location where those resources are present. Uh, All of that. And they spend and they start at the right time. They're starting at like the age of zero, you know, (laughs) doing ballet Uh, for those people. There is like one job for every hundred of them. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Like, clearly, like that's that's uh, those are those are brutal, brutal statistics. Like yeah. That's and that, that's the way it is. Um But by the age of like 20, 25, maybe like if you haven't made it by the age of 20 or 25 as a ballet dancer, uh there is sort of a, a commonly held sense of, well, you didn't make it. So try something else. Yeah. Or, you know, you can teach this, you can use these skills in other ways, but you're probably not going to be a professional ballet dancer at this point. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The issue with opera is that no one really takes you seriously until you're 30. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get like when you're 20 and someone tells you, you know what, you need to change course. You're in a really nice position to change course. You're basically halfway through college. Like, maybe you just finished college, but you could go get a master's. Like, it's, you're in a solid position to just move and change and pivot. Uh, But when you spent your, your, most of your uh, childhood and then much, like all the way up through 30, and everyone is basically telling you, no, 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 we don't know if you've made it or not. We don't actually care what you sound like until you're 30 like that's really tricky. And then there's this sort of window between 30 and 40, where now you have the opportunity to maybe make it. Uh, and then once you hit 40, like 41, 42, then there's a sense of, well, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And pivoting when you're 40 and pivoting when you're 20 are just vastly different things. Uh, so that's, that's opera. Like that's, (laughs) it's really, really rough. Um, and I've, I've, I have so many friends who are in it now and are going through it or have uh, gone into it and then realized just how rough it is and then, and then pivoted out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not a friendly career. And so having someone that you really care about and that you have power over, like a, like a, a kid, if you really knew what that opera career was and then they said, hey, you know, mom, I want to be an opera singer. Uh, the idea of coming back and being like, well, you know, whatever you want, let's mm-hmm. get you some lessons is a very hard thing to say that's not a simple like choice of saying, well, you know, support your kids in everything they do. Like, well, that has consequences. Yeah. (laughs) You saying, I'm going to support you, whatever you do, you want to be an opera singer, let's do it. Like, yeah, that sounds really great. And then, and then that might hurt them. And so it's like, that is not an easy thing. And I can't just say, say just straight up, like, you know, parents, all parents, whatever your kids want, just do it. Like I would say parents, whatever your kids want, like, Be aware that that's going to be a really hard thing for you to say yes or no to. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, you know, if your kid's curious about a thing and they want to explore it, uh, like (laughs) you're basically choosing between encouraging it and then realizing that that can have consequences or discouraging it and realizing that that can have consequences. Mm Hmm. Where they might resent it or they might decide they're going to do it anyway and, and like it damages your relationship. Like There's no winning there. So I, I don't know if I have direct advice for parents other than, wow, that's a hard job you're putting on yourself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting because my dad talked me out of going to the USC school of music uh, when mm. I was a senior in high school and you know, I played the tuba and he said, you know, he, he made a really convincing argument he said, Do you want to spend your entire four years of college in a practice room uh, with a piece of metal? I'm like, no not really now that you put it that way that doesn't sound particularly appealing <laughs> and not only that i get to see the real harsh reality of it is probably even you know one in a hundred like with a tuba player you literally have to wait for somebody to die for a job to open up because there's absolutely one in every major orchestra so i always jokingly say it's like do these guys like instead of looking at job boards read obituaries every morning <laughs> <laughs> and they might yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's rough yeah yeah <clears throat> so Talk to me about the um, sort of habits uh, and, and practice and, and sort of, you know, um, commitment that you developed as as a result of all of this, um, you know, growing up, like with, you know, these kinds of things being such a big part of your life. Like, how did it shape your sort of day to day behavior?
1: That's tricky. I mean, I'm currently in a big transition period with habits. Um, I would say for the first, I don't know, between the ages of 15 and 30, 32, 33, I'm 34 now, uh, the, I used anxiety in some sense as a habit engine. Um, there was a sense of, you know, figuring out what is it that I should be doing? What is the best use of my time so that I don't waste a moment? Uh, and so that gave me a real strong ability to, um, maximize my time usage. Mm hmm. Um, it didn't give me a great ability to figure out what I actually wanted to do with that time, uh, in terms of like, if I'm just sitting around and being like, what do I want to do right now? I didn't really have an answer for that. I'm developing answers for that now. But, uh, for that first part, it was, well, what is most optimal for this time? Uh, and there is generally, there are really good answers for that. You know, how do you optimally spend your time? Not what do you want to do, but how do you optimally spend it? Uh, and so if that is, is a driving force, if it's a thing you really, really, uh, feel driven to do is I I need to maximize this time or else, you know, or else something terrible is going to happen. If I don't do that, then whatever, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of ability. Something bad is going to happen. Uh, if that's chasing you, then you can use that to run a lot. Mm. Uh, and I did. Uh, and so there was a sense like, as soon as I started figuring out, um, I never really applied it to music. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I'm no longer a singer in some sense. Um, I, there are singers who are driven to practice and, and like, like, as you said, like, do you want to spend your whole college in a practice room? Like there's people who the answer to that is like, totally, that yeah. sounds like heaven. And those are the people who will tend to succeed more often than the people who are not. Yeah. And I was not that person. I didn't want to sit in a practice room all college. I wanted to go explore things and create things. Uh, still the thing that I, I, like, I, I have a real mixed, um, I have mixed feelings when it comes to music right now, uh, because the thing that really, really did it for me with music was creation, Uh which I think is for a lot of musicians. The thing you get together with people who are great and you make something great together that has never existed before. Like that's one of the things that music has to offer. And it's like, awesome. Like it's amazing. Uh, but like sitting on a stage in front of a big audience and, and trying to get through this piece and trying to make sure you remember all the, all the words and all the notes and, and then can also remember, maybe, uh, if you have enough presence of mind that you can also express yourself, like that's hard. Um, but getting together with musicians and just chilling and making something cool together, like that's, that's just fun. Mm. Um, so let's see, we've sort of gone a long way from habits. Um, the, the habit thing was, uh, I would say the main place that I could really, really apply that was with language. Um, Once I figured out a way to really spend, like put time in and get language out, um, then I put the time in. Uh, Initially that was fueled exclusively by fear (laughs) Uh, because the, uh, the, the start of my whole language learning like methodology and the book that, 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 came out of it. And then now this app stuff, all this stuff, um, came out of me getting stuck in a situation where I was, uh, I needed to learn French in three months where I would embarrass myself and, and get in trouble. Um, and so that pushed me through French, that fear of like, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't really, really nail this thing. Um, and then once that became clear that I could do this, then there was a sense of, Oh, okay, well now, now I know a way to put time in and get language out. So, uh, why don't I just spend every morning instead of doing French or spend every, every commute commutes are really great for building habits. Uh, I'm gonna spend every commute learning Russian. And uh-huh. so I did that with Russian and then it was like, then I moved to LA, uh, back to LA. I was in Europe, but during the time and I had an hour commute every day, every day on the subway. Um, and Los Angeles is not a great place for commutes cause you do have commutes, but you are driving. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't do flashcards while you're driving unless you do some crazy stuff that I've done recently. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it, it, Los Angeles became more difficult. I, I was uh, less able to say, I'm going to spend a half hour, an hour every day learning Hungarian. It was like, well, I am busy and I don't have a commute. So, But I have this business and I have this book and I have all these people asking me how to learn things. Uh, I guess I need to keep doing Hungarian the way I was doing it in Vienna. And I'm just going to sort of push myself to do it. And then I'm going to push myself to do Japanese. And the pushing is harder. Uh, And when you don't have a clear like cue of like, this is my commute time. I need to spend my commute time as optimally as possible. uh, Then it gets harder and harder to, to hold those habits. And then as that sort of anxiety thing behind you of like, I need to optimize my time or else. As that starts fading away, then things get more challenging. Then there's a sense of like, well, no, now I actually need to choose to study Japanese. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's, that's a long winded way to sort of try and answer that question.
0: Yeah. Um, I do want to get into, to the entire concept of, of becoming fluent, but what I want to ask you about is, you know, you said you decided to quit being an opera singer. Um, couple of different questions come from that. One is, you know, what prompted uh, the decision? You've talked about people that you've seen who, who don't make it. And I'm curious, you know, how do they recover uh, from this sort of sense of, wow, I've put all this time and energy and effort into this thing that I thought I was going to become, you know, it, it I, really, I think it's a question of, of, you know, how do you find a new identity when something like that has been part of your identity for so long? I mean, I, I've seen this mm. sort of athletes who don't end up making a career out of the thing that they thought they were going to do. So I'm curious, you know, what, what that looks like.
1: I, I don't know how it looks like for other people so well. Like, it's it's hard to have really, really uh, deep conversations about stuff like that in the sense that it's – that stuff tends to be kind of painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and people who really want to, like – open up about like, wow, I, 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 tried this thing and I, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Uh, that's a difficult conversation to have. And so I haven't had it with a lot of people, um, in terms of their experiences. Um, I can certainly talk about my own, yeah, uh, which was, see. uh, I think I got, I, I got very lucky. Um, I was doing the singing thing, um, excuse the Chicago <laughs> <laughs> the Sirens of Chicago. Um, I was doing the singing thing, and then uh, the book happened. And the book, like, happened to me in some sense. Like, I was prepared for it, and I put in the work for it. But the, the, the book process was, um, was not something where I was attempting to be an author for years
4: mm-hmm.
1: at all. Uh, and I, I met people right afterwards. Right, I published this book, and I was, I was hanging out with a, a, a crowd that was mostly artists and writers. And I saw, like, oh, <laughs> this is the same. Like, this is like people who are spending, you know, 10, 20 years of their lives uh, writing uh, proposals and trying to get agents and stuff. And this thing just fell in my lap. Like, oh, uh, I, this isn't like this is the same. The, the opera and, and writing, all the all these sort of fields where you just get to your, uh you get to express yourself. Yeah. Um. And then people buy things as a result uh these are not easy fields and the writing thing for me was i i wrote an article and it went uh it was popular and then i rewrote the article and put it on a very big blog and then it went crazy viral and then i had a publisher within two hours of that going viral uh-huh. and then i went and got an agent <laughs> and i i my my pitch i cold called a bunch of agents and the pitch was hey i already have someone giving me money can you please take some yeah uh, and that gets you in the door with a lot of agents. And like, that was the right, that was the book process was I wrote an article and it went viral. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not, that's the shortcut. Like that's not the route towards getting a book really. I right. mean, that is a route. Um, but I was like struggling with the singing thing and doing the singing thing all the time. And that was my job. And then I was also teaching like English in places, but uh, attempting to make ends meet. But for the most part, I was focusing on trying to be a singer. This book thing fell in my lap. Um, I, I did it because I, I cared about the subject matter and I thought I had a good thing to say. Um, I wrote this terrible book. Um, I heard nothing back for like three months from my editor and from Lisa. Mm Uh, and I kept writing and then my editor came back with this just bomb of an email saying like, if you write like this, I'm canceling your contract. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and like i was already because of singing and stuff i mean i was already in like like thirty thousand dollars of debt credit card debt yeah uh and this book was the way out of my like terror of financial terror uh and so i learned how to write um and i learned how to um express myself mm-hmm. and i found that writing was an outlet for for the stuff that was inside in in honestly, a more effective way than singing ever was hmm. for me. Uh, and so I like as as I learned how to do this thing, I fell in love with writing and I felt like, oh, this I've been searching for something and singing for a long time. I've been searching for this sort of expressive outlet where I can just stand in a place and open up and people can see stuff that's inside. Uh, and That's the thing I wanted out of singing. And I, I found it glimpses of it from time to time. Um, and then in the course of writing this book, I found that I could do the same thing and I could do it more reliably. Um, and I could do it in a way that was much more natural to me. I'm not a natural performer. I'm not, I don't enjoy the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm creative. I enjoy creation a lot. Um, and I enjoy expression i enjoy being able to say hey this is me look at it but not this is me look at it in front of a bunch of people it's more like this is me look at it and then please look at it in a different room (laughs) you know i I would probably be like if i were to continue doing the singing thing i probably would have been a much better fit for recording Mm -hmm. um but uh the writing thing fell in my lap i i found that i loved it uh and then by the time I noticed that I wasn't a singer anymore, I didn't have to be a singer anymore. Mm-hmm. A, uh, there wasn't this financial pressure of you must succeed at this or else. Um, and then in addition to that, there was the sense of, you know, the thing I really wanted out of singing, I, I, I found somewhere else. So maybe this isn't so bad. Um, that said, that that doesn't completely get rid of the the sense of, wow, I just spent 15 years of my life working on this thing and... I didn't succeed at it mm-hmm. like that. That is still there. But the the consolation prize of actually you found something you like more yeah. is is pretty strong. Like that's that's nice. Uh, and the fact that there's there are clear connections between what I'm doing now and the singing, like sure. I wouldn't have been able to do what I I wouldn't like this whole language learning thing comes out of the singing and I needed one for the other. And so me being able to sort of track that and say, this is you know, I, I needed to do this 15 year thing in order to get where I'm doing to do what I'm doing now. So I guess it was worthwhile. Like those are, those are some of the stories I can tell myself to, Mm -hmm. to make that thing feel better. Um, and it works for the most part.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, 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 it makes me think of something that Robert Green told me once he said, no experience in your life should be thought of as wasted. And, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow you can always tie, um, even the most insignificant of jobs to some value in your life today. It seems like, at least for me, that's been my experience.
1: Yeah. And I think that, 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 that has to be true in some form, Like you, you, you are always learning from your experiences, even if they suck or if they're great. Like, so they, they make you, you, so whatever you are right now, like it's got to come from somewhere. Totally.
0: Um, well, let's do this. Uh, let's okay. shift gears and let's get into this whole idea of um, language and, and fluency. There's there's a lot of things that, that come to my mind um, when I think about the idea of becoming fluent in a language. One, um, I want to talk about it from sort of a brain development standpoint of, you know, why is it that you know i can learn my native language you know in six weeks as a kid and i can't even deconstruct the process of how it happened to this day i can't tell you how i did we spent six weeks in india and when we left i was fluent and i understand it and speak it fluently to this day um you know not very well because i don't use it very much anymore but i mean it's it's you know second nature to me so i'm curious you know why is that like what causes that um and then let's start getting into this idea of, okay, can you replicate this process as an adult and, and how so, like, how does it happen? And then is that some, that process of learning something that you can apply to other areas of your life?
1: So, uh, just to get a little more data on your thing, yeah. um, when you, what was your total exposure to, uh, it was Hindi or uh, which, it's, which it's dialect? Uh, Telugu, which is a South Indian language. Telugu. Okay. So what, what was your, did you have any exposure to
3: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. That as a kid. Um, I, yeah, I mean, my parents spoke the obviously when I was a baby, I mean, but we lived in Australia. Um, and so they mostly spoke to me in English. I mean, they spoke it to each other.
1: Okay. So you were, you were hearing it uh, uh, from them to each other, but not them to you. Yeah, probably. Yeah and then you went to India and then you got like six weeks of like all the time exposure. And then you came out of there and yeah,
0: my my grandmother doesn't speak English. So yeah,
1: perfect. Okay, cool. Um, I just want to make sure that there's nothing like, Whoa, how did that possibly happen? Um, the standard, the sort of data that, 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 that exists, um, is that generally, um, there is this sense that kids are really, really great at learning languages. And you've, you've come out of this experience coming out of this thing and being like, how did I do that? Like, Mm. obviously I have this magical ability that I had as a kid and I'm like, how do I reaccess that? Or is it just gone? Yeah. And that like makes sense from like what, what you're saying. Um, And the problem is that it's, it's really difficult to keep track of in your mind the fact that the how many hours kids actually get at learning languages. Mm-hmm. Um, the usual experience is you, you go to a bunch of classes and you're taking French or whatever in high school. And you've done this so much. You've worked really, really hard and you spent, you know, hundreds of hours doing French, like 200 hours in this classroom. Um, and you go to France and there's this five year old kid or, or even like this three year, like four year old kid. Uh, and their French is better than yours. And you're like, dude, you've only been speaking for two years and I've been doing four years of French in, in college. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't fair how is it that you can learn so much faster than I can? And that kid has had so much more French than you have. <laughs> Cause those first two years where they were completely nonverbal, like that totally counted. They were learning the whole time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you're spending a few hours a week in a classroom and that kid is spending all of their time in French. Mm-hmm. Um, this is with like the hundred percent native native speaking. This is slightly different from your, your situation. Yeah. Um, but the normal thing is you spend your four years in college, you come to France, you meet this five-year-old, the five-year-old has 15,000 hours of exposure, you've had 200 hours of exposure, mm-hmm. and then you're upset that this kid speaks better than you when, of <laughs> course, they speak better than you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would be insane if they didn't speak better than you. And when you control for that and you, you take a kid who is verbal, you take a five-year-old kid and you move them into Spain and you give them 500 hours of exposure and then you do the same thing with an adult, uh, the adult ends up speaking better than the kid every time.
4: Huh. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the like and, and this is something you get to kind of see like, like the um, it's really interesting going like I've done a bunch of these immersion programs. Uh, there's a, a school in Vermont called the, the Middlebury Middlebury College and they have a, a language school every summer uh, and the way the, the summer classes work is that you show up and you uh, sign a contract and once you sign that contract you're not allowed to speak anything that's not that your target language uh-huh. and if you do you're kicked out no refund. Wow. Um, Yeah. They're super intense and awesome. Um, And so I went there for the first time for German. Uh, My my previous language learning experiences were seven years in Hebrew school, got nowhere. Uh, Five and a half years in in high school and middle school learning Russian, got nowhere. Um, Did fine in the classes. I I passed the tests and things, but I couldn't speak those languages. Um, And so uh, I I did this German program because I figured I can get two semesters of German credit in college and I really don't like this language stuff. So, great. I can get, do, knock out two semesters in one summer. Let's do it. Uh, and this crazy contract thing sounds cool. Let's, let's try that, too. Um, and so I, I did German uh, that summer, and I could speak German by the end. And I was dreaming in German by week two. Hmm. And I had zero exposure to German beforehand. Uh, and my dreams, I'm not like, I wasn't dreaming in German, like, with interesting conversations. My, my, my dreams were like, this is blue. That's mm-hmm. blue, too. This is blue. Look at the desk; it is blue. Like just stupid, stupid dreams. But they're in German. Sure. Right. Uh, and by the end of it, I could hold a conversation in German. And then I went back the following summer, and I could, I, I reached sort of what I would call like fluency, uh, C1 fluency. Uh, like I, I, the Europeans have real specific, like what What do you mean when you say fluent? Which is nice because fluent is so vague. Um, I did an immersion program in Italy for Italian. I went back to do French. Uh, I went back to Vermont to do the French, uh, their French program. I went back to do their Russian program. Um, and I almost went there to do their Japanese program, but, but didn't have the time. Um, I love these immersion programs. And one of the things that you get to watch is you watch all, everyone else. Like, I'm coming in here with this method. you know. I've refined this method over multiple languages and many years and stuff, and there are people in there with no method. They're just, they don't know what they're doing. They're just coming in and learning. And their rate of learning is insane. It's awesome. Everyone is leaving these programs speaking these languages. Because when you're getting that much exposure, and it's that much real exposure, one of the issues is when you're, when you're uh, learning languages in college and in high school, often what you're learning are translations. Like, that's not the language. You learning translations is you learning about a language, mm. in some sense. You're like, oh, this is the word for X. Like, that's not really learning what is what does that word mean? Like when is it used? How do I what is a story I could tell with that word? Like all that is learning the language. But you learning a translation is not is not really learning the language itself. Um and so you you put people in an environment where they're forced to get real language content where the only way you can interact with words is in that target language. If someone is saying something is blue, they're talking about blue things and they're holding it up and they're like, das ist blau and you learn the language that way. And so like you're getting real content and you're getting real content for like 16 hours a day for every waking hour. And when you do that for seven weeks, everyone at the end of this is speaking that language. Now, like you've had this experience where as a kid, you basically had that experience and. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, this was, uh, I think they're called heritage languages, basically. But you, you had this, this whole life experience of your parents speaking to this to each other where you were also learning. And it was all this sort of latent stuff. Like, your parents weren't speaking it enough for you to actually pick it up. Like, usually you need around 30% or more of your time spent in the target language to pick it up as a kid, uh, which is, like, a lot. Like, it needs to be most of, like, a third of your waking hours. Like, it's, it's a five hours of class a day, basically. Mm-hmm. Which as an adult, if you had five hours of class a day and you were doing that for five years, you would be 100 percent fine in whatever language you wanted to learn. Yeah. Uh, And so you as a kid were getting less than your 30 hours. So you were not able to speak this language. And then you did an immersion program, basically. And at the end of it, you could speak this language. And that's not different from how you would behave as an adult. It's that as an adult, you don't have five hours a day to spend learning anything. Uh, And you don't have 16 hours a day to learn anything. I mean, you don't have this, the idea of full immersion in, 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 in any subject is something that, that generally only kids get the luxury to do, uh, except in, in really exceptional cases where an adult decides, all right, I'm going to set aside two months of my life and I'm going to do a language immersion. I'm not aware of other immersions that exist. I guess there's like, I'm going to go be, I'm going to go do a research project and devote my whole everything to that. Yeah. Like that's like, guess another form of immersion, but like there is nothing, uh, There is little that is special about being a kid in terms of learning languages, except for that luxury of time, which is huge, is everything in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a window between six months and 12 months where kids can hear things better. Uh, You probably got the advantage of that. How is your your accent? It's funny.
0: I think the the funny you ask about accents because even when I speak other foreign languages, like if I, if I speak in Spanish, you know, somebody who's a fluent Spanish speaker might disagree with me, but I don't sound like the average gringo when I speak Spanish. Like I don't have a super like gringo accent. Um, I lived Mm -hmm. in Brazil for six months and I, you know, by the time I was done with six months of Brazil, like I remember, you know, the guy who gave me one of my very first surf lessons, his wife was like, wow, you guys speak better Portuguese than some Brazilians we've met.
1: (laughs) That's, I mean, uh, honestly, the, um, there's there's a lot of correlation uh, the people have seen between language learning ability and musicians and musicianship in yeah. some sense uh, and I I my my theory on that has to do with how much you care mm. about what you what what you're listening to yeah uh, because as long if you're actually as soon as you spend some time being like oh wait I actually I want to hear how you're saying that as soon as that attention is 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 there uh, accents are a thing you can master. Um, uh, I ask about the, the Telugu thing because you um, – if your parents were speaking it to each other, it's very likely that you were processing that in terms of the accent part. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that, that kids really do have an advantage on, but they, they lose that advantage as soon as they hit 12 months of age. Mm. Like that's, that's, that's a real tiny window. Mm. Um, and beyond that, they have this whole fearlessness thing where they're, they're willing to expose themselves to more language than adults are. Uh, if there's a room full of French speakers and you're, you've are you taken a semester of French, you're probably going to run out of that room. Uh, whereas if there's a room full of French speakers and a kid has never spoken French, they're going to run into that room and be like, what is what's everyone saying? Yeah. Uh, and that that is another advantage where they're getting more hours than an adult would get because the adult will, will run away from those hours. But aside from that, that's it. That's all the advantages of being a kid. Adults learn way faster because they're smarter, because
0: they've learned how to learn. Sure. So. Let's talk about actually how we would apply this in the context of our, our lives today. I mean, you've obviously sure. deconstructed into a process. So how do we actually do that? Like how, you know, can you give us a, a framework for how this can be applied? If somebody listening, totally. to this, like, I want to learn a language.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the The first barrier to entry with language is pronunciation. Uh, if you can't hear it, you can't remember it, at least not as well. Um, Japanese speakers trying to remember words like rake and lake when they can't tell the difference between those two consonants are in a very, very disadvantaged position. Um, and so they need to work on being able to hear the difference between those two things. Um, there is research showing exactly how to do that. It's called uh, playing with, with minimal pairs. Uh, you take words that are like rake and lake where the only difference between the two words is the, the, the challenging spot and you test them uh, and you basically play a word at random. You say which one was it? Was it rake or was it lake? And then you get feedback saying whether you're right or wrong. Um, those types of tests builds your ability to discern between sounds in a target language. And uh, I've spent the last four years building tools like this because they're important and they didn't exist. <laughs> now they exist. Uh, and you can make them yourself. Uh, and there's guides to that on my website. So like the, the you your very first step is I need to be able to hear all the sounds in the target language or else I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. So that's your first barrier. And so you overcome that barrier um, and you learn the pronunciation system of that language. Uh, that takes like two weeks. It's not a big thing. Uh, it's just necessary, but it's not a big thing. Um, you do this two-week thing, you now can hear, you know, uh, I can hear that this is caro and this is carro. Uh, I can hear the difference between ah, like ah, you know, car, and car. You hmm. can hear this ah and ah thing. You can hear that r is different from r. Uh, as soon as you can hear all these sounds in Spanish, let's say, um, at that point, then you're in a position where you can remember Spanish words like a Spanish speaker can because they can hear the sounds, and now you can hear the sounds. Mm. Um, at that point, then, what you're trying to do is uh, get a bunch of input and get it into your head. And so that that challenge becomes a challenge of memory. Uh, and, it, like, the rest of this game is all memory-based. It's all, how do I get as much content uh, as I can into my head? Um, I used to recommend uh, this sort of, like, the thing in my book is this really nice, like, step, step, step thing uh, that is... Uh, very easy to like to wrap your head around Uh, you learn the pronunciation you get a list of 600 words that are really really common Uh, like dog like table laptop president things that people use a lot Mm. Um, but you get those words that that really you could take a picture and you could learn that word and so you do Uh, and so you learn 600 words using pictures and you get all the English out you never use English in any of this uh, maybe the very first time you see the word, you can look at the translation just to be like, oh, I see what that's supposed to mean. And then you use a picture from then on out.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, you use a flashcard system called the spaced repetition system. This is so far the most efficient way we've figured out how to learn things. Uh, basically, you use flashcards because they're tests. Um, you testing yourself is way more efficient. It's like five more, five times more efficient in terms of time uh, than you just re- reading. So if you like see president is the same thing as this picture uh, – that's fine. But if you actually just show a picture and you're like, what's, what is this picture about? Like, what, what's the word for this thing? Um, that's going to be five times better in terms of your time usage. Um, so that's, that's already what you're getting out of using flashcards at all. Um, spaced repetition basically monitors your uh, how well you remember things and tries to test you right before you forget it. Uh, so it plays with the timing. Uh, instead of just looking at all your flashcards every day, uh, it will show you a flashcard saying, this is sha." And on the back, it has a French looking cat. Mm. Um, And then if you tell the program, yeah, I I got that. I remember that today. um, Then it will wait four days. And then in four days, it will say, hey, uh, here's a French looking cat. What's the word for this? And you're like, uh, shut. And it says, "Okay, well, you handled four days. Let's try seven next time. Um, And so it keeps expanding that interval, trying to stretch you and trying to find, you know, how long can you remember this before you actually forget it? And if you do forget it, then it'll contract that interval. It'll it'll show it to you more often. Um, And so you use these sorts of systems, but you use them with these kind of tests, where instead of training translations, you train pictures to word connections. Um, You build up this 600-word vocabulary. You have a base, this sort of foundation. Um, And then you use sentences. And you say, okay, well, if I have a sentence like, the dog is chasing the cat, uh, now... And I'm learning English, let's say, since that will help us generalize a bit. Um, I know the word cat. I know the word dog. I know the word to chase. Mm. So what about the dog blank chasing the cat? Now I can have a blank for is. Usually is is not a thing you could attach a picture to. Like is is totally abstract concept. It's just it's a it's a functional grammatical thing. Uh, But in that story, The dog is chasing the cat is totally looks like something is looks like the thing that allows the story to happen. Like the, you have a picture of a dog chasing a cat, the dog blank chasing the cat. Like that works totally for a Mm flashcard. You can use a fill in the blank to learn a word like is, Uh, and same idea with what's the difference between chase and chasing. Well, chasing is the word that allows you to tell this story. Uh, it's not just the the general concept of chase of chase. To chase it's this is the thing you need is chasing is the construction you need to tell about this thing that's happening right now Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have a blank there and perhaps you give yourself this clue. You're like, okay to chase I need to modify this to chase words so I can tell this particular story Um, The concept Mm -hmm. of the what is the well the is another thing that allows you to tell this story Um, And so you start getting a bunch of sentences and you can look at translations the first time. That's fine just to get your bearings on what is the story we're trying to talk about here. Um, and you, uh, keep blanking out words within that story. You figure out what that word is doing. What's the role of that word. Um, and then you blank it out and you use that flashcard with the picture again, uh, a hundred percent in your target language and you keep going that way. Um, and then you basically go through a grammar book and you steal two sentences off of every page. Uh, That's gonna cover pretty much most of your bases in that language. Uh, And once you've done that, you're gonna be at a pretty solid intermediate level. You should be able to hold a decent conversation and then you can start playing around. And the playing around process involves you taking sentences from a frequency dictionary where you see the top thousand words in a language with example sentences and you take the ones you want. Um, You can go back through your grammar book and grab the little bits that you missed. Uh, You can start watching television Mm -hmm. You can start reading books and then grabbing sentences from those if you want uh, And you can start holding conversations and that's sort of this play stage Mm. Um, That's that's sort of the framework in the book the thing that i've kind of modified since then since it's been uh, Three years, I guess since then uh, and because japanese is insanely hard and has forced me to innovate (laughs) um, is uh, I basically jumped straight to the play stage um, With with the 600 words Uh, and so I I get a tutor because tutors online nowadays are five bucks an hour because it's insane. Because uh-huh. um, there are websites like italki.com that will put you in touch with tutors for four or five, six bucks an hour. Um, and I'll, I'll, I won't speak a word of the language. I'll get a tutor there who is able to speak English. Uh, I'll send them my list of 600 words or 625 words. Uh-huh. And I'll say, all right, let's start. The first word on this list is star. I have a memory about looking at the stars outside my airplane window. Can you help me write that in Japanese? And they will help me write a personal sentence about a memory I've had about stars. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And then I will use that to learn the word star. And I will also use that to learn the word window and airplane and is looking and concepts like now. And we'll discuss the sentence and I'll try to get a sense of, okay, what's each word in the sentence doing? How does it work? Uh, And we'll, we'll get all that. I'll make flashcards for that when I'm done with the tutoring session. But while I'm there and I understand it, then it'll be like, okay, well, we just spent 15 minutes on this very first sentence in Japanese. Um, The next word on this list is white. So let's talk about how this airplane I'm in is white. And let's talk about how to identify colors and things and that I am in this airplane. Let's talk about the word for I. Uh, And so we'll spend like an hour making four sentences and really understanding them. Mm-hmm. And then I'll spend a week memorizing every bit of data in those sentences using these flashcards. And then the next week we'll make, instead of four sentences, we might get through six sentences in an hour. And I'll do it again. And then we'll go through eight sentences in an hour. And usually by, I don't know, uh, I guess in this case, six months in, I was having conversations Japanese. And it's like, oh, this is way better. So let's just use this. Uh, So generally, I've been pushing people away from this uh, stepped approach of saying pronunciation, then just picture words, then sentences from a grammar book, and then play around with tutors to, uh, yeah, learn pronunciation first for sure. Uh Um, But you don't actually need to do the picture words. You could just run straight into tutoring stuff if if you're comfortable with that. Otherwise, do the picture words for like 50 words until you get comfortable with, with the computer system. Cause the, the flashcard system is challenging to, from a, just a UI standpoint, yeah. the, the program is a little challenging. Um, and then, and then go run, go, go play with the tutor and then learn all this stuff cause you'll learn a lot faster.
0: Mm. What, um, what is your impression of tools like Duolingo? Are they just kind of useless or do, like, does it just give you sort of a base level of being able to function like in Mexico and order food and drinks and, you know, not get robbed? <laughs>
1: uh, there are, there are programs like, let me think programs like pimsleur we'll start with pimsleur pimsleur um will teach you phrases like that mm. we'll help you uh, memorize phrases that will make it so you don't get robbed as, as re- like you won't get robbed and you can order some drinks um those are valuable for that purpose yeah uh you aren't really learning the language you're getting a little bit of pronunciation exposure you're getting some sentences into your head but you're not really comprehending how every bit of that sentence works mm. really um but you are able to recall the right sentence at times because they're using spaced repetition. They're using that that same system, um, because they're doing that. You they they are able to jam that in your head, and so by the end you will be able to order the thing you want to order. Awesome! Like that's a that's a that's a valuable function that it's it's accomplishing. It's a different goal. Uh, then I want to speak this language. I want to be able to think in Spanish. Um, programs like Duolingo, um, like most of the things out in the market, um, they are training translations. Um, translation is spectacularly difficult. There are reasons why like simultaneous translators are paid $200, 300 bucks an hour. Yeah. It's one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Um, translating is is hard. Like thinking in a language is relatively easy. You taking a picture of. Uh, you searching Google images for chat, and you seeing that French cats are different from American cats. And then you choosing something that surprised you. You're like, Oh, it's, they, they, these, this is, these are super small. All the French cats are small. I don't know why you choose some small cat. You put it on a flashcard. You say, this is chat. Um, you memorizing that is really easy. Mm-hmm. That takes very little time. Uh, it's, it's a thing you store readily. Um, but you memorizing that cat is the translation for sha is hard, comparatively quite hard. Uh, and you trying to do that for words that don't translate as well as simple image things, um, you know, necessity, absolutely things like this. Like, like, what is it to to be, to think, to to? Uh, how do I express? I, I would like to do that, but but I can't right now.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, these kinds of, of things are not expressed in the same way. They don't even mean the same things in other languages. Uh, and you trying to do this translation thing of you magically like like uh, decoding English or decoding French into English is spectacularly difficult. It's something like I, I suck at. I can speak in many of these languages and I, I, I can't translate. <laughs> people come up like I've had interviews where people are like say this and I'm like, I don't I don't know. Can you have a conversation with me where that would come up naturally and then I could say it? Um, and so these programs like Duolingo, they, they try to make translation fun Mm -hmm. and they do a good job of that. They gamify this thing quite well. The interfaces are done very, very well. Um, but what they're training, their product is translation. The reason why Duolingo is free is that you are, you are the product in Duolingo. You are translating content for other businesses who are trying to translate their websites and they want humans translating it. Right. Um, and so they, they are, they have to do translation. Mm-hmm. That's the the whole financial model is based on translation, and as long as you are doing translation, you're not actually learning the language. You're learning about the language. You're learning this decoding task, which like is valuable if you want to be a translator someday. But that's only if it, like translators think and speak those languages. They don't just decode. Right. And really, the first step if you want to be a translator is learn the language not the translation skills, learn the language mm-hmm. and then pick up translation skills on top of that because it's an additional skill. It's not the primary skill. Um, and so that's where almost all of the other products on the market and like Pimsleur too, but Pimsleur is very phrase based. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where most of the products are sort of stuck on the market. Um, Rosetta is playing around with uh, non-translation, mm-hmm. uh, which means they're doing some things right. Um, but, there are there are limits. There's a the thing that's really tricky about language learning is that the thing that people want is a thing that people can't have. The thing that people want is they want to show up in a room or or sit on their couch with their phone uh, but they want to start, they show show up in a room they want a teacher to stand up in front of them and they want they want that teacher to jam French into their heads. Or they want an app where they could press some buttons and sort of passively get French stuck in their heads. Mm-hmm. Or they want to listen to a recording overnight, this sort of like osmosis thing, where right. I'm just going to listen to recordings, and then in the morning I'll speak French. And none of those are active enough. Sure. None of those involve decisions. And you really actively thinking, I, I want to get this into my head. How do I make that happen? Um, and language is, is so personal. Like it's this, you're you're messing around with how you think. It's not something that can be done passively.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so Rosetta runs up into that. Like even though they're doing the translation thing right in the sense that they're knocking that out, uh, it's not active enough. It's the sense of passive bloop, 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 and you want language in your head and it's not going to happen uh, in terms of you really getting the ability to think in any complicated way. Rosetta's, uh, I found, has been useful for getting some vocabulary in, um, but, but can't get complex thoughts. It can't get you to think in a target language. Um, it's one of the, uh, the, the challenges I've been hitting in terms of, um, like I've, i made these pronunciation trainers over this between 2013 and, and, and 2017. Um, that was fixed content. It's like, we're talking about like an, an hour of content that I can cover all of in a video. And I do. And basically like the first step of the pronunciation trainer is like, listen to this video, watch it. Because I'm going to talk about everything that you're going to learn for the next two weeks. Uh, and then, then we can talk about pre-done content. Um, but that's about the limit of pre-done content. If you've, if, you, if you've already done the content and you're just feeding it to people, then they need to learn it at some point. And so you need to basically cover it in some sort of engaging way, like a video. Um, but a language is way more content than you could possibly cover in an hour. <laughs> Uh, or in really any, any number of videos, you can't cover the whole language in any number of videos. Uh, And so if you want to make an app that actually will teach a language and teach like the real language, not just translation skills, but the ability to think in a language, um, what you need to do is give people the ability to freely explore that language and make active choices of, I want this in my head. I want that in my head. And I want to encode it in this particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this last year has been uh, trying to design for that. Um, and that's been like now that's been my whole life is, is designing this this a new app that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's challenging. I mean, there's like the, the idea of how do you how do you take the work away while keeping the decisions in the process? How do you keep keep things active while removing the stuff that's tedious? like that those divisions are, are not always obvious. Uh, and so that, that's been, uh, that's sort of the general challenge when you want to make something that really teaches people things. Um, how do you keep them active without boring them? Mm. Like
0: that's tricky. Wow. Um, well, this has been really, really fascinating. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Unmistakable.
0: <laughs> oh, give me more. Give me more. <laughs> Give me a little more background on it. Sure. So I, you know, I mean, for the purposes of the the book that I wrote, I defined unmistakable as something that is so distinctive that nobody else could have done it but you. But I mean, the you know, answers to this question have ranged all over the board. God
1: I mean I guess I have to deal with the fact like is anything actually unique? (laughs) Um what makes something unmistakable? I think that one of the things that came out of writing my book and actually like going from having a terrible book to a good book. Um, I read a, uh, a, an example that my editor gave me, uh, of a book he edited where the first draft was similar to mine and the final draft was good. (laughs) Um, and it was called thank you for arguing by Jay Hendricks. And it was a book on uh, argumentation and the thing that comes across within the first paragraph. Uh, Because I I didn't come into that book thinking, wow, I really want to learn about argumentation. Um, But I read that that first page and I wanted to keep going. And I wanted to keep going because I felt like I met someone. Uh, I felt like I just got introduced to someone who is so nerdy and obsessed with this topic that is so niche and like, just like, he loves it. And it's obvious how much he loves this topic of argumentation. Uh, and I think, oh, well, I don't care about this, but I do care about you. I want to know about you and what makes you tick because this obviously makes you tick. And how could that possibly be? Cause I didn't, I don't care about this topic and you, how do you care so much? Mm-hmm. Um, and it made you want to keep reading. And that was sort of this, that was my, my editor's point it was like, that's, that's what a book is. <laughs> if you've done this thing right, like that's, you've made it a friend in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you see something that, that catches your attention in that way, uh, where it isn't just, uh, I, I naturally have an interest in this thing, but, but you're pulled to it because you're pulled by the personality that's behind it, um, I guess for me, that's something that's relatively unmistakable or unique, uh, is when you can see the, the person behind it, or you, you feel that there must be someone
0: there and that you want to know more. Wow. Awesome. Um, well, uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, I guess probably
1: the best place to start would be either getting my book on Amazon. It's called fluent forever. Mm -hmm. Um, or on my website, fluent forever.com. Uh, that will link not just to the book, but also to this app I'm developing. And that's, that's sort of where things are moving now.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch.